Today on the God of Redemption Show, we discuss Reformation Day. We talk about the inconsistencies of the Roman Catholic Church during the time, uh, the efforts to Martin Luther, the five solas, and how it has affected the church today. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is the God of Freedom Show. The show is sponsored by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So if y'all always wanted to start a podcast but didn't know where to begin, because let's be honest here, especially like back then, podcasting was pretty expensive. You had to spend like pretty much hundreds of dollars to find the right program to record on, or to edit it on and everything. But now, no longer. You have Anchor. Anchor is not only simple to use, but it's also free. All you do is record your audio from your phone, iPad, or your computer, edit it, and then post it. It has all sorts of like background music you can add to it, which is pretty cool. And you can split it up to different segments as well. You can also uh, monetize it with sponsorships and um, little support donation buttons. You also distribute it to other sites like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. And it's um, anchor.fm or download the app, Anchor, the Anchor app. Again, it's anchor.fm. Alright, so I hope everyone is having themselves a great week. Happy um, Saturday. It'll be, actually be Sunday when I post it, but today I'm recording on Saturday which is a.k.a. Reformation Day, a.k.a. Halloween. So, happy Reformation Day, happy Halloween as well. So, yeah. So, you're probably wondering, you know, hey, why aren't you doing anything about the election? I'm talking about the election at all. Because, you know, the election is just a few days away. It's like literally on Tuesday. Well, the reason is because it is Reformation Day. And I've been looking forward to actually talking about this for a while. Because I've been planning on it for a long time, and I knew, but also, I knew it was actually closer to the election to, as well. So, what I am going to do, though, um, i get, yeah, what I would do is, I'll be releasing a bonus episode on election day, given my final prediction and all that. So, if you want all that from me, definitely just, you know, wait until Tuesday. And all that, you should get my final prediction, how what things are going to happen, and all that. But, definitely still stick around for this one, because this is going to be fun to do. It's kind of, not really freestyle, but kind of is. I'm still kind of structured in some way, but I'm not, it's not like I have a script, usually for a show, but I do have kind of bullet points to kind of guide me. But this one is kind of a little different, because, I mean, really, it's going to be all on one kind of broad topic. Overall, and it's because I usually do multiple different topics on my shows, but now today is going to be just one single one, and that is Reformation Day. So, Reformation Day, it is kind of the biggest, one of the biggest events for in church history. It is, you know, something that's widely celebrated by, especially Protestants, Evangelicals, and, and, and those alike, uh, because, you know, that's the day where... As we know, Martin Luther, um, you know, nailed the 95 theses, thesis or whatever, how you ever say it, <laughs> sorry, but, you know, nailed those pieces of paper to the door of the church in um, Winnenberg, Germany. I probably got that wrong, but the church in Germany, which is the Roman Catholic Church at um, that time, too. So, and that really kind of sparked the eventual split between um, Roman Catholic and then the Protestants. So, to kind of, so basically what I'm going to do in this episode is kind of go through, first off, go through kind of the inconsistencies of the Roman Catholic Church, um, during, especially during that time, um, which, is, which, is, which led to um, Martin Luther doing what he did. So, Anyway, so let's just jump right into it. Alrighty, so the inconsistencies with the Roman Catholic Church. So, as we all know, you know, because like, especially Protestants, especially really evangelicals, non-denominational evangelicals, you know, 
we don't actually hold our disdain, if you will, for the Catholic Church. It's nothing to do with people, Catholic Church, because they're still, you know, they're still followers of Christ, especially, you know, at least some of them are. But the problem is, is the doctrine of the Catholic Church, that just, there's so many inconsistencies and how, what they do and everything, it's just, it's all a mess. And that is still, same thing applied 503 years ago, over 500 years ago, with, yeah, it was Winburn, Germany. Still got kind of a article from abc.net right here, kind of giving you some idea what was going on during that time. It's kind of inconsistencies. So some of the things that, you know, the Catholic Church believed during the time especially, and still kind of believes today, is that, um, let's start with salvation. So salvation, how it was originally believed to be received, is not only through Christ, but also through your works. You have to do all sorts of good, good these good works, help people out, or whatever. You know, tithe, give money to the church, or whatever, in order to receive the full salvation. Pretty inconsistent, isn't it? So I'll get to all the inconsistencies with the scripture and everything later on when I get to the five solas, because that kind of compares, that does kind of compare and contrast the two beliefs systems. But yeah, that's kind of the biggest thing right there for like, it's through works, like works plus grace is salvation according to the Catholic Church, which is, again, highly unbiblical. In many, many, many ways. Many, many ways. Also, another thing is that what they do is pray to, like, the saints and, like, and Mary, Mother Jesus. Which is kind of strange. They say, basically, how it works, sorry, how it works is that, you know, especially, let's go to Mary, you know. They say, oh, we don't worship Mary. We don't worship Mary. Um, they, But the thing is, they pray to her to act, act as a kind of a, I think, intercessor, if, if you will. I, I don't know if that's the right word for it. Kind of the mediator. Sorry, I can't think of the right word for it for some reason. It's still in my mind. But the go, kind of the go-between between God and us, which... If I recall, that's what Jesus was for, not Mary, who was a sinner just like us. <laughs> so, um, that doesn't not make sense at all. So, there again, there was a lot of problems with the Catholic Church during that time. Another thing they really started, this is kind of started during this time too, was that this whole, it's the, sorry, where is it? Indulgences. I'm probably saying that so wrong. I'm sorry. So, real quick, let's look up kind of the slight definition of it. Indulge. No. Okay, this is what I mean by freestyle in a way. In a way. There we go. Alright. My phone is being dumb. So basically, indulgence for the cat, what that means is, is, there, is a remission before God of a, the temporal, temporal uh, punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. So, okay, what is that? Yeah, okay, so adultus means, it basically, it's remission before God as of a temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. So this is where the whole idea of, really, purgatory came in. So, this really started during this time. With purgatory, let's kind of dive into what purgatory means, too. So... Purgatory is basically this phenomenon that they believe is where 
you know, when he passed away, uh, this is actually like a, it's an article, uh, not article, but it's from the gotquestions.org, which is a great site if you want to get some questions answered at all. It's, it is a Christian site, so ask anything by the Bible, and they'll likely have an answer for it. So, this question was asked, what does the Bible say about purgatory? So, what basically purgatory is, according to God questions, is, in Catholic theology, purgatory is a place that a Christian soul goes to after her death to be cleansed of the sins that had not been fully satisfied during life. Again, let me read that again. In Catholic theology, purgatory is a, is a place that a Christian's soul goes to... To, goes, goes to, after death, to be cleansed of the sins that had not been fully satisfied during life. Confused, aren't you? Especially if you're like a reformed, you know, evangelical or whatever. Like a Protestant. Because, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of wrong things about that. So, basically... Basically, what purgatory is that you go when you die, you go into not you don't go to heaven or hell, depending if you're saved or not. You go to purgatory that acts as the final cleansing of your sins. But the problem is, and the God questions says this right here, is that that's not biblical. Seriously, it says right here. I quote: "Is this doctrine?" Of purgatory in agreement with the Bible? <laughs> God questions answered, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's and they are totally absolutely right. Because as we all know, Jesus died to pay the penalty, as it says right here, I quote, Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin for our sins. He for all of our sins. So it doesn't make sense for us to go into purgatory. And get the final cleansing of sins. Like, what's the point of Jesus then? Then, if that was, if that's the case, so let's jump to Romans five eight real quick. So Romans five eight says, "But God showed showed us His." grateful love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were we were still sinners. It says we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us, save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God has re been restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. So it's pretty clear that Jesus, basically by, the, by his death, burial, resur resurrection, we, and when we repent of our sins and turn to Christ, everything that's for forgiveness, we're made righteous in the eyes of God. So... And our sins are fully, for, are pretty much, you know, forgiven and everything. I mean, and we can't lose our salvation from, or his salvation for us. So, again, the idea of purgatory doesn't make sense. And so, this is what the biggest, one of the biggest issues that Martin Luther really saw with the church during that time. Which is why he did what he did. But before we get into all that, let's learn a bit, little bit about Martin Luther and who he was. Kind of give you a background. So this is according to uh, Britannica.com. I'm bad with words. I never really read before. So he was born in November on November 10th. 1483, and so let's kind of go through his early life and edu education and everything. Soon after Luther's birth, his family moved from Eisleben to a small town of Man 
Mansfield, some 10 miles away, 10 miles to northwest. His father, Hans, Hans Luther, who prospered in the local copper refining business, became a town councilor of Mansfield in 1492. There, there are few sources of information about Martin Luther's childhood apart from his recollections as an old man. Understandably, they seem to be colored by a certain romantic nostalgia. Luther began his education at a Latin school in Mansfield in the spring of 1488, where there he received a thorough training in the Latin language and learned and learned by wrote sorry and learned by wrote the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the, the Apostles' Creed and morning prayers and evening prayers. In 1497, Luther was sent to nearby Magdeburg to attend a school operated by by the Brethren of the Common Life, a lay monas monastic order whose emphasis, emphasis on personal piety, piety apparently existed a lasting influence on him. In 1501, he mat matriculated, culated, a mat matriculated at the University of Erfurt, at the time one of the most distinguished universities in Germany. Matriculation records record describe him as a inhabendo, meaning that he was ineligible for financial aid and indirect testimonial to the financial success of his father. Luther took the customary course in the liberal arts and received a bachelorette yeah, degree in 1502. Three years later, he was awarded a master's degree. His studies gave him a thorough exposure to scholasticism. Many years later, he spoke, to, uh, spoke of the Aristotle and William of Ockham of, of, as his teachers. So again, this kind of goes through his life right here. So I'm gonna kind of, kind of really jump to where it kind of really gets. Here we go. This is the indulgence uh, controversy, indul indul indulgence and salvation. In the fall of 1517, in sorry, in Ost, Ost, goodness gracious, Ost, event quickly made Luther's name a household household word in Germany. Irritated by John Tessel, a um, Dominican friar who was reported to have preached to the faithful that the purchase of the letter of indulgence entailed the forgiveness of sins. Luther drafted a set of pro- propositions of, for the purpose of conducting an academic debate on indulgence at the University of Wittenberg. He dispatched a copy of the 95 Theses to Tesla's superior Arshop, Albert of Mainz, along with a quest that Albert put to stop to Tesla's extravagant preaching. He also went sent he also sent copies to a number of friends. Before long, Albert formally requested that official proceedings be committed com, commence at Rome to a certain excuse me, to a certain uh, the works of orthodoxy. Meanwhile, it began to be circulated in Germany together with some explanatory publications by Luther. Luther clearly intended the 95 Theses to be so sub, subservient to the Church and the Pope, and their overall tone accordingly searching rather than doc, doctrinaire. Yet, nevertheless, it, there is a detectable 
undercurrent of reforming sediment in the work. Sorry. Nevertheless, there is a detectable undercurrent of reforming sentiment in the work in, in the work expressed in several theses beginning with the phrase Christians are taught taught that as well as some openly provocative statements. Theses at a six, for example, asks why does why does why does not the Pope whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest crosses build the Basilica of the Saint Peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers. So, okay. So basically, you know, that kind of goes through what happened during the time. Basically, again, he saw very a lot of inconsistencies with the church, including indulgences and the, you know, salvation stuff and everything. And a lot of other things the church was doing. So, and this really nailed, really, no pun intended, really nailed the coffin that really split the Protestants and the Catholics. And really for good reason, too. Because, again, there was a lot of problems with the beliefs of the Catholic Church in time. A lot of problems. So, and again, what happened is on, this is now 503 years ago, um, on this day, October 3rd, 31st, 1517, you know, he nailed, that's when he nailed the 9-5 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church. So, along with these nine of five theses came a set of ideas, a set of five ideas that's really the core of kind of especially evangelical reformed Christians today, especially today. And I'm going to go through all of them, actually, too. All right. So again, these are what I what we refer to as the five solas. Before I get to this, you got to go over to YouTube or the God and Free blog to check it out. So not only you get the rest of the I work over the you know the five solas, but also kind of how it has affected the church today and everything. And also, I'm going to be starting the Book of Acts today, so don't miss that. Also, good stuff and best of the week. And remember, you can find me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. This is The God of Freedom Show. Okay, so let's uh, get started with the five solos right here. So, again, this is kind of the really the core outside of beliefs of Christians today, or mostly Protestant evangelical Christians today. So, what these five solos are, I'm going to go through all of them individually. Where is my mouse? There it is. So, um, so here's the um, five solos right here. So, the first one is sola gratia, which means saved by grace alone. Sola fide, through, that means through faith alone. Solas Christus, in Christ alone. Sola script, scriptura, according to scripture alone. And finally, soli dio gloria, for the glory of God alone. So, I'm going to go through all of them individually. So first, let's start with was it sola gratia? Again, that means saved by grace alone. So again, this is according to God questions right here, but I mean it's pretty self-explanatory. You know, it is grace is the reason for us as the reason for our salvation, and it comes from God. And then, so, so this kind of really hits the point of the whole salvation the way 
Catholic believe the Catholic Church believes salvation it was listed by faith by works and faith or by grace and works. But that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says you know it is through grace alone. And so let's jump to Ephesians chapter two, start with verse eight. So Ephesians chapter two verse eight through nine says, "God has saved you by His grace when He when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. That is, that is true. We, we cannot we cannot boast about it. It's not from it's not what we do. It's not from us. It is from God as a free fresh." pretty much a free gift to us, free for us to to receive, paid by the blood, you know, by Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So yeah, that's pretty again, that's pretty self explanatory that we are saved by grace alone, not our works, by grace alone. So now let's jump to the second one, a sola fide through faith alone. So what this means um, sola fide again establishes you know salvation as a free gift and everything is that it's through our faith that we received salvation. So you know God question says emphasize the salvation as a free gift. The Roman Catholic Church of the time emphasized the use of indulgence donate money to buy status with God. So that's what kind of indulgence means as well, is that you donate money, your good works and everything to receive God, um, God's salvation. Good works including baptism were seen as required for as required for salvation. So Lafide stated that salvation is a free gift to all who accept it by faith. So let's jump to John three sixteen. Actually, hold on. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go back to uh, Ephesians two nine or here real quick. So again, Ephesians two nine says salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And then now let's jump to John John three sixteen, which is pretty much the one verse everybody knows. For, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So again, when we believe and have faith in, in Christ, you know, that's all we need. We, through grace, we're saved by grace through our faith alone. So, now... Um, third point is sola, solus crisis in Christ alone. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In Christ alone, not by, you know, we don't pray to Mary to act as a kind of a mediator between us and God or us and Jesus. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not of the, that's not what scripture says. That's what the Bible says. Not. Excuse me. Oh, it's getting a little drier here. All right, sorry about that. But again, like Jesus is is the main role for our salvation. So let's jump to Hebrews four fifteen. So Hebrews 4.15 says, This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same tests as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, there, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need most of it. Yeah, so, again, you know, Christ is our high priest. You know, he's the one we go to for salvation. And it's through 
his sacrifice through grace, grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, we receive salvation. So, again, now let's jump to um, Sola script, Scriptura, as according to Scripture alone. You know, basically, Scripture is the basically the main say-so of our faith, the main kind of document, if you will, of our faith, and not, not any other kind of traditions, if you will, or any other doctrine, that it is through Scripture alone. So another problem with the Catholic Church is that they had a bunch of other traditions that weren't really, you know, you know, just not of God, if you will, not in part of Scripture or anything. And they believe that it is through Scripture and tra traditions is that you can get to the path of salvation, which is totally wrong. So now let's jump to Second Peter one twenty. So Second Peter one twenty says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever, ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So basically, again, is when, when it comes to Scripture, that's not our, that's not it's not man's writings. It is through, you know, God. Basically, it's the author through through these um, people that wrote, basically helped write these books. But it's all inspired by God. But the problem is, outside of Scripture, there's many other things, traditions or whatever, that are not of God, that have plagued the church. So that's the point of this is trying to make it is through scripture alone that we get our understanding of God and how it all works. And finally, for the um sorry, so jump to Second Timothy three sixteen. Second Timothy three sixteen. So second second Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare, equip his people to do every good work. So again, scripture, as it says, is inspired by God. So it is, scripture again, is our main kind of like go to when it comes to God, it comes to our faith. That's where we go to to get the answers and, and all that. Not through other traditions or what others have said through scripture. That's why it's important when you hear people speak and everything to test it with scripture. Always, always do that. So finally, the final point is Soli Dio Gloria, for the glory of God alone. So again, the full context of it is about grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Especially, kind of emphasize what this means fully is that but the glory of God is as goal life. Rather, if this is according to God questions, Rather than striving to please church leaders, keep a list of rules, regard our own interests, our, our goal is to glorify God. The idea of soli dio gloria sorry, is, found, is found in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So let's jump to there. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So what... Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So, again, this is what the whole point. Really, that's where we're, our main focus on our goal of our life should be on this earth, is to do things with the, 
for the glory of God. That's why the, you know, salvation, Jesus's, you know, <clears throat> death, burial, resurrection, that's all for the glory of God. It's not to make us feel better. It's not to make our lives better or anything or, or whatever. It's for the glory of God. So, again, I, I was really, that's all really the five solos right there. Say by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to for the glory of God alone. And, again, this is the main, this is kind of the big foundation for the church today. Especially for the, again, the Protestant evangelical church. And is, you know, and as, as I source right here, it is right with scripture. It is perfectly accurate with scripture. Unlike, you know, the whole works plus salvation, oh, sorry, works plus grace equals salvation thing that the Catholics used to believe. So because of this, you know, again, this really split up the church into two main areas, the Protestants and the Catholics. And really that split really changed the course of history for many, many in many ways. And not only set the church on, on a better path for belief wise to really get into the into the essence of what you know God was doing instead of what Jesus was on earth to do and everything but also to kind of more other things like really the founding of the United States too was a product of the Reformation so it's it's really interesting really if you look into that it is is according and really if reformation didn't happen, the United States likely wouldn't exist. It's pretty interesting. But yeah, even today we still fight about this. You know, again, Catholics, you know, again, they're still followers of Christ. They're still at least most of them are, most of them are or whatever. But you know, they're still followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. But and we just have some doctrinal differences. But the problem is, you know, their doctrinal beliefs in a lot of ways is not according to scripture in in a lot in a lot of it. So they still follow a lot of things like believe in purgatory, praying to Mary or whatever. And again, that's not of scripture, that's not of God to do all that. So and it's, again, it's still kind of has an effect on today's church. And of course, you know, there has been some ne negative side effects from, from, from the Reformation, if you will. But that's really because, really because of the world, now nothing to do with the Reformation itself, but because, you know, it's really Satan infiltrating these, this moment to pull some people away. That's where kind of the idea of say the prosperity gospel if you will and many other false things about it and it just really I don't know it's really it's really interesting to kind of look at but really overall the reformation was a great thing for the church because it really again it set us on a good path to really know New, truly know God, truly know Him, and so it's so again. It's really interesting, kind of going back and to looking at you know what you know Martin Luther did and everything. You know he really was one of the first base, base, biggest voices calling out false you know false teachings and everything, and. So there's, there's kind of this idea, especially today, that we shouldn't really be calling out false teachings or false, te false teachers or anything because we are not to judge or whatever. But, according to scripture, it is very clear that we are called to actually, we are called to do that. We are called to rebuke and call out the false teachers and false teachings. So let's go to let's see Romans six seventeen. 
So Romans 6, 17 through 18. Thank God, once you were slaves, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have we have given to you. Sorry. Now you are... Sorry. Hold on one. That's not the right one. 16. I should accidentally have clicked on 6. But 16, 17 through 18. Here we go. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brother, brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you, you, you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests by smooth talk, smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing, in doing right and to stay innocent of, innocent of any wrong. Okay, now let's jump to Ephesians 5.11. Ephesians 5.11 says... Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, instead, expose them. So again, we are we are called to expose the evil and the you know messed up part, especially if it comes from you know fellow members of the church. If you know you have teachers, you know talking a good talk, but really what they're spewing is completely wrong. We have a duty to call that out. We have a responsibility to correct that and call it out. So, a really big example I want to hit on is, of course, you know, Joel Osteen. If yeah, Joel Osteen, who is a big prosperity gospel uh, teacher. So basically, is that his main belief is that you know we is that you know God wants us to be live our best life now and and everything so again but his idea that we we need to live <clears throat> goodness gracious sorry and there we go so again he believes that you know we need to you know, live our best life now, or treat achieve you know prosperity or whatever. But it's not what we're called to do. And that's not what we're called to do according to the scripture. So, like one of the other key beliefs is that you know God is what God's will is that we be blessed with material thing, material things, which is very con contradictual. To Timothy, First Timothy, Timothy six six. So First Timothy six six says, "Yet true godliness, contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we um, brought nothing with us when we came to the world, and we can't take take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content." So we're not called by God. God's will is not for us to be to to achieve maternal success, material material you know success or whatever. That's not what we're called to do. We're called really. Our goal in life is to do everything with the glory of God, not for us, not not for us, but for the glory of God. So again, I mean, Joel is not the main issue right here. But overall, I mean, there is a lot of pro false teachers right here out there. Or really, false teachings can, really can't even come from good teachers and everything. Um, so, a big example, let's read the monster article. Hold on one second, I'll be, I'll be right back. Alright, so I found an article that I said I'm close out. So, it is called... You know, Policies, Persons, and Pastor Ruin by John Piper. And it's, this is kind of his answer to how, 
you know, he will vote in the 2020 election, um, in the upcoming election on Tuesday. So let's kind of look at to see what it says right here. And so what I mean by kind of like even false teachings come from good teachers, because John Piper is a respected, you know, theologian, teacher and everything. And a lot of, he has a lot of good stuff. But of course, you know, being that, you know, like everyone else, he is a sinner like us. So he does make some theological mistakes. And this is probably one of them right here. One of the biggest ones. Or kind of a big example of it right here. So let's start with right here. This article is probably the closest, is probably as close as you will get to an answer on how I would vote in the upcoming presidential election. Probably. Right? Only God knows what may happen in the next days. Nothing I say here is intended to dictate how anyone else should vote, but rather to point to a perspective that seems to be neglected. Yes, perspective sways my vote, but you need not to be sinning. Us, but you need not be sinning if you weigh matters differently. Actually, this is a long overdue article, intending to explain why I remain baffled that so many Christians consider the sins of sins of unrepented sexual immortality, unrepentant boastfulness. Unrepentant vulgarity, unrepentant uh, fact, factious, factiousness, and the and the like to be only toxic for our nation, while policy, policies that endorse our endorse baby killing, sex switching, freedom li freedom limiting, and so, so, society, so, so, socialistic overreach are viewed as deadly. The reason I put those Greek words in parentheses is to give a graphic reminder that these are sins mentioned in the New Testament. To be more specific, they are sins that destroy people. They are not just deadly, they are deadly forever. They lead to eternal destruction. They destroy persons, and through persons, they destroy nations. Forgiveness through Christ is always possible there where there is repentance and childlike trust in Jesus, but where humble repentance is absent, the sins condemn. The New Testament, you know, sorry, the New Testament teaches that those who do not who do such things will not inherit the kingdom kingdom of God, and that those who practice such things deserve to die. To which we may say, so what? Rejecting Jesus as Lord also leads to death. But you are willing to vote for a non-Christian, aren't you? I, I am, assuming that there is enough overlap between biblical uprightness and the visible outworking of his character and convictions. My point so far is simply the raise of stakes that, of what is outwardly modeled in leadership so that Christians are given pause. It is not a small thing to treat lightly, treat a lightly pattern of public behaviors that lead to death. In fact, I think the I think it is a tra drastic mistake to think that the deadly influences of our of a leader come only through his policies, not through his person. It is not only true because flagrant flagrant bustleness, vulgarity, immorality, and fascistness are self-incriminating, but also because they are our nation corrupting. They move out of the centers of influence. To affect whole whole cultures, the last five years bear vivid witness to this infection at almost every level of society. So clearly, in his article, he is talking about Trump and his, you know, he talked about boastfulness, vulgarity, and all that, and how, you know, that is the main problem when it comes to you know voting and everything. But the issue I find with it is that, yes, you know, Trump is. Definitely all of those things. But policy is is a big, big, big thing that we need to consider with the presidency. 
the president. And when you look at the policies and what they believe, each candidate, like, I'm just, I'm just wondering how, as a Christian, can you support a candidate that supports abortion on demand, <clears throat> uh, socialism, um, you know, of course, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of other things, a lot of other unbiblical things, you know, uh, homosexuality, equal marriage, or whatever you want to call it, and all that, like, sex switching, and all, and two, so, and compared to someone who, you know, obnoxious, vulgar in his language, but, you know, generally supports, you know, policies and values that, you know, we as Christians thrive in the believing in all that. So, I mean, that just, it doesn't make sense. So this is kind of the issue I have with this article is that he's trying to sway people, okay, this is the main issue right here with the, with the candidate, not what they believe, which is completely wrong. So, I mean, that's really kind of the main issue. That's what I'm talking about where I'm saying even good teachers have some bad teachings, if you will. But again, there's a lot of, yeah, just, this is where we as Christians have the responsibility to call out those things, to call out the bad teachers and, and all that. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting uh, stuff as far as the Reformation to kind of go in through all that. Alrighty, so, so now, so we're, we're going to be starting the book of Acts. So we're going to begin, we're going to be going through all all the book. So we're starting with, of course, the very beginning. And so this, this Acts was written by Luke, the, you know, of course, the author of the Gospel of Luke. So let's start with it right here. Remember, you can follow me along if you want, and that will be in the New Living Translation. The Promise of the Holy Spirit. In my first book, I told you, um, Theophilus, about, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day. He was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the four days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles apostles were um, were with Jesus, they kept asking, "Lord, has the time come for you to be to free Israel, Israel, and restore a kingdom?" He replied, "The Father alone has the authority to set those days and times, and they are not for you to know." And also, he's talking about really when them happen. That's when you know Revelations comes in. You know the whole rapture. And the restoration will come in whenever that comes. And so, obviously, he says, you know, the Father alone has that authority, has to know, know when that is. Not even Jesus knows when that will happen. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him raising, rising to heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven, heaven in the same way you saw him go. Matthias places Judas. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distant half a, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of, of, of the house where they were staying. 
Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the um, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, so the, and several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when um, about one hundred, about one about one hundred twenty believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them, "Brothers, scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit in speaking through the kingdom, the king through King David. Judas was one of us and shared the ministry with us." Judas had sought a field with the money he received for his tre treachery, falling headfirst there in his his body, split open, spilling out at all his attestants. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave a, gave the place of American name Akal Akal Dama, which means a field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, Let his, let his home become desolate, with, with no living, living in it. It also says, let someone, someone else take this position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the, the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time... He was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is um, chosen will join us as a witness for Jesus' resurrection. So the nominated two men, Joseph uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, when they all when they all prayed, "O oh Lord, you knew every." Every heart, show show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas, Judas in this uh, ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So basically, kind of. The beginning of the first chapter of it kind of really sets it up where Acts is going. Obviously, Acts is kind of the works of the apostle to really spread the gospel all throughout the world. So, you know, you'll see eventually, I think in the next chapter, yeah, the next chapter is when the Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So, that'd be really cool to go through. So I'm looking forward to go through Acts right here and see see all that. Alrighty. So now let's get on to the good stuff and bad stuff of the week. So some good stuff of the week. This okay. So I gotta kind of I do I, I'm gonna end off in kind of a political way, if you will, because I gotta I gotta show this that. So there's this, there's this group called the Lincoln Project, and the Lincoln Project is filled, you know, is employed by people who claim to be conservatives. They claim to be conservatives, but they're really not. It's really because, you know, they hate Trump with a passion. They hate Trump so much that anything that can even remotely benefit him, they go against. So even the most conservative stuff, conservative policies... That can happen, even you know the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, they rejected because it somehow benefits Trump. It's it's quite insane. Even abortion, I think they go against because it benefits Trump as policy. So they're not really conservatives, if you will. But they they're outright again. They hate Trump with passion. They want him, they want to see him lose. So they released this ad 
the other day. And it is the funniest ad I've ever seen. It is really, 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 really hilarious. So here is the ad right here. Asked me to wake you and tell you what happened in the election. Who won? Trump. Trump won. But I thought you could only be president two times. Not anymore. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. <laughs> I'm sorry, that that is just hilarious. That <laughs> right there. So basically, what they're saying is that if he somehow wins this election, he will never stop being president. He will somehow override the the amendment. I think it's the 21st Amendment or 22nd Amendment, actually. Sorry, 22nd Amendment. So he'll somehow override that and become president forever. <laughs> that, that is just that is hilarious right there. That's really, really hilarious. Alrighty, so I think that's all I have for this episode. So remember, uh, stay tuned for Tuesday for a bonus episode of the show where I go over my final prediction for the election and everything. Otherwise, I'll be back here next week with all the latest. My name is Sean Clinton, and this is The God of Freedom Show. If you enjoyed this episode of The God of Freedom Show, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening or watching.